in every generation. We are to be faithful and obedient. But what we have not pulled off in 2,000 years, God is going to pull off in these final seven years. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We move into chapter 19 of the Revelation today, and we begin to see an end to the devastation that has befallen earth during a time known as the Tribulation. Much of our study over the last couple of weeks has dealt with the center of power the Bible calls Babylon because of the corrupt and apostate characteristics it will share with the Old Testament Babylon. But we noted in chapter 18 that God finally says enough. And this city, like its namesake, ends up getting destroyed. This results in rejoicing from those individuals who come to faith in Jesus Christ during this tribulation period. If any good news can be had out of the misery described in the end times, it is that the nation Israel will indeed come to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he explains. And we've seen all the way through Revelation that this is a very, very Jewish book. And the Bible teaches not only the regathering of Israel, that's the first step, we're seeing that. But then after the church is removed, we're going to see the conversion. Jewish people are going to be converted. The prophet Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Zechariah, they all affirm that truth. Now understand the fact that one of the ongoing proofs that you cannot spiritualize the prophecies that is found in the book of Revelation. And there are some Bible teachers whom I love and they love Christ. But they say that the church is the new Israel. They teach replacement theology and all that nonsense. You cannot spiritualize the book. And one of the ways that we know you cannot is just by fact that the Jewish people exist. From the time Father Abraham in Genesis 15, Genesis 12, reaffirmed in Genesis 15, said again in Genesis 17, that God would set a covenant with the Jewish people that was unconditional in nature, that could not be broken. From the time that God said that, the Jewish people have continued. Now, last winter, we saw the Winter Olympics. You know, all these countries came in with their flags. You know what? There was no Hittite flag. Did you notice that? There were no Girgashites or Jebusites or Hivites or Amorites or Canaanites or Perizzites or Mosquito Bites or anybody else you can think of. Neither did the Philistines practice the long jump. But the Jewish people are still here. Think about it. All those other nations have been assimilated into other cultures. But the only country in the world that bears its same name, that speaks the same language, that upholds the same faith, that inhabits the same land as it did 3,000 years ago is Israel. In 1897, Theodore Herzl held the Zionist conference encouraging the Jewish people to go back to the land. How is it that for nearly 2,000 years, these people who Gentile nation after another, and there's a growing anti-Semitic movement in this country that is disgusting. And as I've been speaking to some of our college students coming back from Clemson and USC, they are telling me of the anti-Semitism even here in the great state of South Carolina. How is it that the dream has been kept alive? How is it that these Jewish people continue to exist? Such a small nation, no bigger than Delaware, 
only about 12 and a half million Jews on the planet, yet they are front and center in the daily news, only by the hand of God Almighty. And God has kept the dream alive through the practices that He gave the Jewish people to do. There's festivals and holidays that they celebrate year after year, generation after generation. Every year on the ninth day of Av, that commemorates the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple that also happened on the exact same date, the Jewish people fast around the world. Every year when they have their Passover Seder, even some of the Jews that are not that orthodox, they sing a song next year in Jerusalem. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of Jewish practices and traditions that God has used to cement them together as a people. And during this seven-year period, right now the church, largely Gentile, is preaching the gospel to the world. During that time, 144,000 Jews from 12 different tribes will preach the gospel across the planet. It's not by accident because God has this in absolute control. Now, during this time, millions of Jews are going to meet the living God, and not just Jews, Gentiles are going to meet them. And of course, when the Jewish people reject the Antichrist as some kind of a savior, he is going to wage war against them. We studied this in the 12th chapter, if you are here for that section of the Revelation. Let me read to you Revelation 12 and verse 6. Then the woman, who's identified as Israel, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that, there would, that, that she would be nourished 1,260 days. That's the second half of the tribulation. Right in the middle, Antichrist defiles the temple. Every Jew is going to have their eyes wide open. They're going to reject him, and they're going to do what Jesus said. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then those who are in Judea should flee to the mountains. And they're going to flee to places like Petra, as pictured here. And they will hide, but even there in the wilderness, Satan will seek to drown them. I'm not sure how he will do it restructuring rivers and water into that area. But the Bible says, and the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But God will miraculously deliver them. As in Exodus 15, number 16, God will open up the earth. And so Revelation 12 says, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So Satan's attempt to make the prophecies for Israel to be fulfilled will become null and void. God will intervene, and ultimately, as we will study here in the subsequent weeks, at the Battle of Armageddon, God will settle it forever. So there are these people, even today, even American politicians that have a veiled form of anti-Semitism. There are nations and youth, especially in various countries of the world, who want to see the Jewish people exterminated. It ain't going to happen because we have a sovereign God who rules above, and He will keep all of His promises. Now, in the 17th and the 18th chapter, God pushed the pause button, 
And we saw in Revelation 17, all these religions of the world coming together. Religion can be a glue that can unite nations. And initially, there will be a coexist of sorts. All of these different religions. We're seeing the seeds sown for that, even through this pope pictured here. We're now on over 20 different occasions. He has gathered religious leaders together. And on three specific occasions, he affirmed that everyone is a child of God, and he denied the uniqueness of Jesus as the only way to heaven. If that pope was wise, he would fall on his face and bow before Jesus and call him Lord and take back every evil, wicked word he has said. And then in the 18th chapter, after the abomination of desolation takes place, that multiplicity of religions will cease to exist, and there'll be a singularity of religions and one economy, and you will not be able to buy or sell unless you follow the Antichrist and take his mark, 666. And so in the 17th chapter, religious Babylon is destroyed by 10 human kings with the Antichrist, and in the 18th chapter, the Antichrist kingdom is destroyed by God himself. That brings us to this textual bridge. The tribulation is coming to an end, and God is setting the stage, and everyone in heaven knows it, and they are there singing and praising the living God. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see this song that is sung in heaven. The first stanza is a hallelujah of God's salvation, a hallelujah of His salvation. The verse opens after these things. We've seen that phrase, metatata, many times. And every time you see after these things in the revelation, God is about to introduce a new subject. I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So the tribulation is coming to an end. And now the spotlight is on heaven and Christ's return to the earth. And John says he heard something like a loud voice. It's two Greek words, megalophone. We reverse it and we get our English word megaphone. There's this great multitude in heaven who are singing praise to God. The worldly music, if you were here last time in chapter 18 and verse 22, is silenced. Now heaven is singing praises. And in these four verses of this hymn, it looks back to the judgment on Babylon that we've been studying through those six messages. This great multitude or this loud voice. Where did we find this great multitude initially? Hold your finger here. Go back to Revelation 7. Just back a little bit. Revelation chapter 7 and go, if you will, to verse 9. Revelation 7, 9. We were first introduced to this great multitude in heaven that has been growing during this seven-year period when 144,000 Jewish people are preaching the gospel to the world. And John sees the fruit of their ministry. He said, after these things I looked, and behold, Revelation 7, 9, a great multitude which no one could count. What a wonderful image of the grace of God. Because again, these Jewish men are preaching the gospel and people are responding. That's one of the functions of the tribulation period. God, the Bible says, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and neither should you. I hope your heart is filled with compassion this morning. When you see the mess that so many lives are in across our nation, I hope you realize, but by God's grace and mercy, there go I. I hope you have a compassion 
because God does. It's a trustworthy statement that deserves your full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know why Community Bible Church exists? Do you know why we are supposed to be here as a Bible-believing local church? Number one, to exalt the Savior. Number two, to edify the saints. And number three, to evangelize the lost. That's why we are supposed to be here. We are here not to exalt any man, or any group of men. We are here to exalt the living Savior. We are here to edify the church that they might grow and that we might evangelize the lost. Why? Because the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So this is God's heartbeat, and you see it here in this verse. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. He doesn't even dare to assign a number to this magnitude of people who have come out of the tribulation as saved. Now, as we've studied and we've let Scripture interpret Scripture, people who are in churches like this, who have heard the gospel in clarity and power before the rapture, will not be saved after the rapture. 2 Thessalonians 2 is crystal clear on that. This multitude that is saved are people who have never heard the gospel before. But think about what God is doing. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were one to the Lord. A few days later, 5,000 men, excluding women and children, probably 20,000 were added to the Lord. And then Luke records that God was adding to their number every day. All of that magnificent conversion work of the Spirit of God pales in comparison to the multiplied millions he is going to save during this period of time. A great multitude which no one can count. And then he highlights this group in terms of their origin. Because God is not just saving Jews, he's saving Gentiles. I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. So the Bible is clear. It's not like God is just like enjoying himself up in heaven and watching people suffer. Some of you have told me your testimony, and it's in the midst of suffering. It's been in the midst of the bottom falling out that God got your attention, and you wouldn't trade what you went through because God used it to bring you to faith. This is like the close of time, and God is going to bring the Jewish people to faith. Alas, for that great day, none is like it, and it's the time of Jacob's trouble. But he, Jacob, Israel, will be saved out of it. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah says in the 12th chapter. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me. That's Yeshua. That's Jesus, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for their firstborn. The Jews are going to be saved and people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and what Jesus said will be fulfilled. This gospel, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This verse, contextually, is in reference to this seven-year period where the gospel through the 144,000, through the two witnesses, through an eternal angel, will win people from every tribe and tongue and nation across the planet. That doesn't mean that we sit on our hands today and say, well, it's going to happen. We don't need to do it. No, in every generation, we are to be faithful and obedient. But what we have not pulled off in 2,000 years, God is going to pull off in these final seven years. I looked a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, not just Jews, all tribes and peoples and tongues. Every unreached people group in the world will be one during this time, 
But the Bible is also clear that two-thirds of the world's population will perish in these judgments. It's sobering. Now go back to our text here in Revelation 19 and verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Now the word hallelujah occurs four times in the New Testament, in every instance in Revelation and in every instance here in the 19th chapter. It's from a Hebrew word. It's the transliteration. When you transliterate a word, you hear that word used by pastors sometimes. It's when you take a a vocalized sound of a language and then you translate it to the receptor language. So like baptizo comes into English as baptize. Well, hallelujah is from two Hebrew words, halal. So we speak of the halal psalms, the praise psalms of God, and yah the Tetragrammaton, the most sacred name for God, Yahweh, meaning Lord. So when we say hallelujah, we're literally saying praise the Lord. And some of your English Bibles don't even render it hallelujah. They interpret it for you. They give you the meaning of the word and they write praise the Lord, but that's what it means. Every once in a while, someone will call on the Bible line with a very obscure question And some years back, someone called, and they said, I need to ask you a question, Pastor Carl. Is it hallelujah, like it says in my Bible, or is it hallelujah, like it says in the King James? Which is it? I said, well, that's a good question. So let me see if I can answer it. Hallelujah. In Greek, linguists will speak of different accent marks. There's what we call a rough breathing mark. If you had a Greek New Testament open before you, and even if you couldn't read Greek, and you opened this chapter of Scripture, and you saw the word hallelujah, which you would recognize, you would see before the alpha is what looks like a backward comma. It's a rough breathing mark. It makes a sound. And when you put it with the alpha, it's hallelujah. So in the Greek New Testament, it is hallelujah. Why is it Alleluia in the King James and in the Catholic Bible? Because the Catholic Bible used the Latin translation that Jerome produced in the fourth century. And of course, in uh, Latin, uh, they have different sounds, some of which that we don't have in English. Like, for instance, there's no J in Hebrew or Greek or Latin. So there, the King James drops the J. Now, you would think there would be a, a, a Y, like hallelujah, Y-A-H, because it's from the word Yahweh for God. But we have hallelujah, but we don't really say hallelujah, do we? We say hallelujah, right? Okay. But uh, nonetheless, um, also in Latin, they drop the H. Um, there's no J, and so it becomes hallelujah. There's no H in Latin. So it's Alleluia. So in the British Isles, where the King James came from, their origins was Roman Catholic. And so they largely used the Latin Bible, among other things, in the translation of the King James. And so they said, Alleluia. So I just want to answer your question. I don't know that anyone's asking it, but, you know, still, there's a difference between Alleluia and Alleluia. What's the difference? It means the same thing. You can say either one that you want. But in the Greek New Testament, it is 
Hallelujah, all right? Now, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, say that, Hallelujah. You know, I go to India, and they love to shout, Hallelujah, right? Sham, can you shout it back there? Hallelujah. Amen, see, and they literally, you go to India, and there's thousands of people. They say, Hallelujah, they love to say that word. I love them for that, that's beautiful. So here we are, they're in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now, the word hallelujah appears 25 times in the Old Testament, in every instance in the Psalms, and again, just four times in the New Testament, in every instance in this chapter. And I want you to see what they're praising God for. They cry out, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Listen, when we get to heaven, we're going to praise God for all that he has done. And so in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we saw the church in heaven worshiping and giving God praise for the cross, for the blood, and for the empty tomb. And if that's all we had to praise God for, we'd have enough to shout. But here, they're praising God for another dimension of his character and what he has done. Look at it. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he's avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So in this first stanza, they're praising God because he's judged the great harlot. Now, you remember who the great harlot is, right? Babylon, economic Babylon, religious Babylon, two chapters. God has dealt with it, and he destroys them both in the end. So they're praising God because, one, he has judged the great harlot. Why has he judged them? Because they corrupted the earth with her immorality. They took God's moral standard, and they reversed it. Just like the Speaker of the House last week was speaking against pastors like Carl Brogy, because we're saying homosexuality is sin. And so they passed a bill. Thank God there's not enough people in the Senate to pass it. But in the House, they passed a bill called the Equality Act. God help us if that's ever passed in the Senate. Because then homosexual people will have the full status of a minority person. If I were a minority person, an African-American or something, I would come out of my seat that they would take some moral perversion and put that on the same level of what men like Martin Luther King fought for in terms of equal rights. It is a gross perversion. But I'll tell you, if it is passed, look out. You're going to see persecution come on the church of the living God like we've never seen before in America. They're praising God because he has judged this people who've corrupted God's morality, and they're praising God because he's now avenged the blood of his bondservants. We'll see it in the 20th chapter. Millions of tribulation saints have been beheaded by this institution called Babylon because they refuse to follow and give allegiance to the Antichrist. Now, we don't often think about praising God for putting down evil, but you just read your Bible and you see it's a common theme. Psalm 104, verse 35, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This kind of praise 
of God's righteous judgment on sinners is found many times in Scripture. The Psalms often praise God for putting down evil because when they praise God for putting down evil, they're praising Him that He is a holy God, that He is a just God. Salvation and glory and power, it's actually articular. It's the salvation, the glory, doxa. We get our word doxology from it. God's moral glory is being seen. God's deliverance. Here the word salvation is not is the way we often use it, but sometimes it's used in the Bible of God delivering someone from danger. God has delivered his people from the persecution of Babylon. His glory, his moral glory is being seen in his power, the power Dunamis, we got our word dynamite from it. And again, it's very clear that they're praising God as he executes these judgment because the very first word in verse two is because. We're praising you, God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. They're praising God, not simply for the deliverance that he has given them, but because of his justice that has been expressed. Now put out in the margin there, would you, Psalm 19.9. Psalm 19.9, if you have the New American Standard, you will notice that there's a change in typeset, right? And that tells you right off, as it is in 99.9% of the cases, that this is an Old Testament quote. And he's quoting Psalm 19. Most of us know how this Psalm opens. King David begins with general revelation for the choir director, a psalm of David. That's actually verse one in the Hebrew Bible and in many languages of the world. And then verse two is what we have as our verse one. But that little inscription on the front of the psalm is inspired by the Spirit of God. The only thing that's not inspired is the chapter title. And so the NAS may have one chapter title and the NIV and the ESV a different one. And the verse opens, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And then he moves from that general revelation, that information that God has revealed to all men everywhere, wherever they live on the planet, which is why Paul says no one can say they are atheistic because God's fingerprints are all over his creation. But then he goes to specific revelation, that revelation that God has given through his written word. The law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then the verse that John quotes is the next verse in that psalm. The fear of the Lord is clear, clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. God's judgments are true. They are righteous, and that's what he's quoting here, because his judgments are true and righteous. And so these saints in heaven, the church has been raptured, and they have been greeted by multiplied millions who have been slaughtered by the Antichrist in a Christ-hating world, and God is now vindicating his people. The Bible reminds us that God will indeed judge the great harlot that city of Babylon that will be at the epicenter of all that is bad during the tribulation. To listen again to today's message titled, A Song Sung in Heaven, use the Search the Scriptures app for iOS and Android devices, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV53. 
Well, Lord willing, we're going to Israel in 2021. We are praying for an end to the pandemic and making plans for another visit to the Holy Land in late September and early October of next year. If you're interested or would like more information, visit us at searchthescriptures.org Israel. This will be an amazing 11-day journey that will bring to life for you the many places you've only read about in the Bible. Find out more at searchthescriptures.org Israel. Tomorrow, the conclusion of a song sung in heaven. Join us then as we search the scriptures.